You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command podcast. What's up? What's happening? That is Logan Paulson. I am Craig Hoffman. We are sitting in our homes in the greater D.C. area. But, Logan, it is Combine Week. We are headed to Indy soon. Yeah, headed to Indy soon. Very exciting. Always, you know, it's like the uh, like the reunion for the NFL every time it's out there. And it's also fun to see all those young athletes come out and kind of do incredible stuff. So. So it's a it's a reunion that actually launches us perfectly. I don't think you did this on purpose, but uh, you're just so talented. You just you're just mm, chef's kiss. So good at this. Uh, it kind of launches us into our first topic, which is the reunion's not as big as it used to be. Yeah, um, you yeah. now have a lot of NFL coaches that are not going. Commanders. Um, I heard Kime say on his pod the other day that they're not sending any of their assistants out there. DQ is going for a short, a very short time. Um, in part just to do his media responsibilities. And then he's headed back because there's so much work. I know LaFleur and the Packers staff not going. Like, there's a lot. I don't think Sean and Kevin have gone for the past couple of years. I, Kevin was there last year for a short time. But, like, those guys get in and out pretty quick. Yeah. Some of them do the press conference. Some of them are now skipping the press conference and saying, I don't even care about that. Mm. So it, it's – but they're certainly not staying for the workouts. And they're letting their scouts and that the college operation do that. And then on the player's side, you have top guys, I would say, doing even less than ever. We've always had top guys, top quarterbacks especially, not throw. You know, certain guys won't run certain drills. But you have a guy now like in Marvin Harrison, according to Albert Breer's reporting this morning, that he's not even training for any of this stuff. He's not even going to do a pro day. Like, he's training for football next year. Mm. And I think there's a lot of, obviously, offshoots about this, but... As the NFL, as a league, is pumping the combine up as this big entertainment event, what do we make about the fact that the people inside the league, players, coaches, our prospects and coaches, seem to be making less of it? So I don't know if they're making less of it. I think just times have changed. And what I mean by that is, like, I think, you know, when you talk to guys from the Miami Dolphins or guys from San Francisco, you know, they don't, Kyle doesn't send anybody out anymore. They record the whole event. And so I remember talking to a couple of coaches from Miami last year, basically saying, like, I don't need to watch the on-field stuff anymore because I can watch it on tape. And it's easier for me to compare tape to tape as opposed to seeing some guys in person and some guys, um, you know, on tape where I don't get the opportunity to see them at the combine or whatever it is. So I do think because of technology, because of Zooms, because of all this different stuff, like the the 
how people are engaging with the combine is different. It's still extremely important. Like, don't get that twisted. It's still a huge data point for all the scouts and everybody. And if they're not going to do stuff at the combine, they're definitely going to do it at the pro days. But um, I think it's uh, I think it's interesting. And I think it's, you know, to your other point that the, the, the kind of higher level guys aren't really doing stuff. I think it's smart. I think it's smart. If you are Marvin Harrison Jr., the only thing that can happen for you is bad. Like, what do you run a four two? Are you going to go any higher? No. Like, you're going to go where you're going to go, right? You, they have all this GPS data now. That in like when you talk to teams, a lot of teams, like I know the LA Rams, for example, utilize that very heavily, right? They don't care so much about the forty; they care more about your GPS numbers. So his GPS numbers are great. I think there's stuff uh, earlier reports uh, uh, that came out this year of him running twenty three miles an hour in a game. So if I'm him, I'm like, you have that information. I'll interview. I'll do whatever you want, but I'm not testing because if I don't test well then what's the point? And I think that's something that uh, as you move up, like I think a good example is like Dallas Goddard from a couple of year ago, years ago, like never ran a 40. He came to the combine, did the interviews. I think he met it on the bench press or something, but he didn't do any explosive measurements and he didn't run. And I remember thinking like he looks really slow on film, but the one way to confirm that is to run really slow in a 40. If I don't run, all I have is the film and it looks pretty good. So I think that's something that people need to understand is people now are getting advised by their agents like, hey, man, don't test. And I totally respect that because the the teams are losing leverage in this scenario. Yeah. And if you're Marvin Harrison, you're like, hey, 1400 yards, 12 touchdowns back to back seasons. Like, what am I going to prove in yeah. 4.3 or 4.4 seconds? Absolutely nothing. And so yeah. I think it's smart, but also I, I think it's a great opportunity for guys down you know, down the draft board to prove their worth. Like a second round guy becomes a first rounder because he does go out and run a four three right. and everyone thought he was a four five guy. Um and especially if they can back it up at the pro day. You know, I think some of the the measurements become really, really important, which, you know, some of those are things you can train for. Like if you're JJ McCarthy coming in at two fifteen instead of two oh five does you does you a, a, a huge solid yeah. versus, you know, your arm length is your arm length. That is that is what it is. There's no training arm length. Um so there's there's I think a huge opportunity for guys, you know, that are at the back end. And it's really like I think in terms of percentages, we're talking about the maybe top one, two, maybe three percent of guys that shouldn't run. The top one to two guys at each position, maybe at a position like quarterback, you you say none of those guys should really do a whole lot. Those top three, but if you're anybody else, this is such a massive opportunity. So I don't I don't want to get it twisted to say that like everybody shouldn't do this stuff. Like no, if you're if you're locked in as a top ten pick, yeah, okay, fine. If not, you're trying to get into that top ten. And from, you know, the way the salaries are slotted, that's worth it. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. And I think it's, it, to your point, it's just important. Like it, it can help you, right? In certain cases, like, so for example, like I was talking to an agent before the senior bowl and the senior bowl is a great opportunity to get in front of coaches and look really good. And the guy was like, you know, I don't want my guy to go because he's got a, he's got a top, I think it was a top 60 grade. So it means he's going to be a first or second round player. And he's kind of got an ankle injury. I don't want him to go put bad film on tape and people to be mm. able to hold that against them. It's the same thing here, right? If you're going to run fast, you want to go run at the combine. If you're going to run slow, don't run. Leave it to the imagination. You have all this film that kind of speaks for itself. And, um, you know, I know some of the quarterbacks aren't doing stuff, which is a little bit disappointing. I think we're going to talk about that later. But I think for the majority of people, it's very advantageous. I think a good example of this is like Talisi Fuaga, the, the Oregon State tackle, goes to the Senior Bowl and – you have to measure when you go, right? And so his arms are 33 inches, which are a little bit shorter than you want for ideal tackle. So now after that measurement, people are like, well, maybe he's more of a guard. He's still a good football player. But I think that's where like 
the general measurements, the general weights are all still extremely important. Like as, as far as evaluation go for team to kind of meet their minimum thresholds and things like that. So while some of the top guys aren't doing stuff, it's still an incredibly important event because it gives you kind of this baseline. I think you hear like Mel Kuyper Jr. talk about this all the time. Like it's, it's the thing that separates people. So for example, if Malik Neighbors goes out and run, runs a 4-2 and looks great in the field work and looks like that dude, do you hold that against Marvin Harrison Jr.? Because I know some teams right now in conversations have Malik Neighbors ahead of Marvin Harrison Jr. And I was reading something earlier yeah. today that uh, a lot more teams, I'm trying to remember who wrote this, but it might've been, it might've actually been uh, Breer said that a lot of teams have, or a lot more teams than the public realizes have yeah. neighbors ahead of Harrison. Yeah. And I think when you look at the the receiver position now, like those bigger guys, they struggle at the NFL level a little bit. You know what I mean? In terms of creating consistent separation, obviously you have your exceptions, but I think when you look at Malik neighbors, he's much more of a modern NFL receiver mold. And I think that's why people are so excited about him. And if he goes out and runs a four, three and, and catches the ball, the way he's caught the ball, all season long, like that's going to be a, a very emphatic stamp on the process. And for me, like I don't, I don't, as a, as a player, I totally empathize with Marvin Harrison Jr. I think he's doing the right thing for him, but as a talent evaluator and as a coach, you know, at a different level than the NFL, for example, I'm like, are you hiding from something? Are you slower than people think? And, um, and that's something that I know a lot of coaches when you would a lot of scout, not coaches, a lot of scouts, feel that way like why are you hiding from this measurement are you not as fast as people think you are and when you watch the film sometimes you're like man like how fast is he really you know like when he gets in space he's not pulling away from people the way you think he should like that, that's not to say like i'm not criticizing marvis harrison jr but i do think it gives some people some scouts an opportunity to kind of say to peck at this what up to this point has been an, an, an immaculate evaluation process you know he's he's the guy He's one of the best receivers I've ever evaluated. But now you're going to say, oh, well, he's not running. Is he slower than we think? Let's compare him to Malik, who ran and did well and did all this stuff. Maybe maybe kind of shifts the tide there a little bit. Yeah, to me, I'm, maybe this is me being like a, a silly talk show host. But to me, that screams like bias, like a personal bias in terms of 100%, like. 100%. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, you didn't do my part of it? Yes. I, I watched your tape all year and I came to your games and now you're not doing my event? You're not doing yeah. my underwear Olympics? Like, well, it's relax. A big part for, it's a big thing for them, you know? It's a it big is, part but of but I think to your point earlier, though, like I would much rather, I know we talked about this last year as this became much bigger part of the evaluation, I'd much rather rely on GPS data yeah, than I would on, on 40. So I don't really, not to say I don't care about the 40, but you know we're gonna we're gonna do our our second annual crossover podcast <laughs> in Indy with uh, the Train with the Best podcast, my other podcast, and we'll talk about the difference between training for the combine versus training for football. As Marvin Harrison is like done that in a way that I don't remember any other prospect like outwardly yeah. being like, yeah, I'm not training for this stuff. But like, you have to train as a track athlete to run a good forty. You don't have to train as a football player. Right. GPS data is the data speed wise of a football player. That mm. matters more to me. I, I agree. I think I think that's where teams are at. And I think, like you said, like there is there still value in the 40? Absolutely. I think yeah. it just shows you what kind of explosive athlete they are, right? So like when you look at, I think um, uh, Quan is a really good example of that, right? You know, he runs like a 4.5 or, or whatever he ran, but then has a 44-inch vert and like over, a t over like a 10.5-foot broad. And you're like, this dude's an explosive son of a gun. And I think it gives you 
an athletic bias of like, this is the mold, this is the the clay that we're working with. And this is what the clay is capable of. And I think um, with a guy like Marvin Harrison Jr., like to your point, like he's a top five pick. He's probably gonna be a top five pick, maybe top 10, top 10 pick for sure. Like there's no reason for him to do anything like, right. and, and in some ways, like I think, I think it's probably very wise of him to train football because it, I think it kind of leads into a, a situation where he's less likely to get hurt coming into the season, right? I think it's it's a smart play by him for his future long term. Now, it might in the in the in the interim or in the short term hurt his relative draft stock, but we're talking three, four, five picks. It, it's not going to be a huge deal either way for him, right? For sure. And, and if, if if it does at all, if it does at all, right, right. There's still a chance he goes three or four, and we'll see. Um, I also think that all these drills are not created equal. Um, yeah. and that should also be said, like the 40 is very technical. Um, yeah. you know, we always say that if, if you're just a random person, I can cut two tenths off your 40 instantly. I just got to teach yeah. you how to start. Correct. Right. So if you, you and Chris did a great video last year, uh, Chris, <laughs> Chris, or who was in jeans? Were you both in jeans? I was uh, in do, jeans. Yeah. yeah it was tough. Get, getting down in that, that 40 start, uh, in one of the, the hallways in the Indianapolis <laughs> convention center. Um, but yeah, no, we, you know, it's pretty easy to to mess that up, right? The technical track start, the three point stance start, has a huge impact on that total time. And by the way, you know, a lot of positions, the ten yard split is more important than the forty. And that first ten yards, if you're slow out of the the stance, which really has not a lot to do with football, um, yeah. that that could matter a ton. The the five ten five is a super technical. Like if you know how to hit the footwork on that, you can put a much cleaner time up versus like. Hey, dude, jump as high as you can. Like, dad tells yeah. me something about your raw athleticism. Yeah. Is there technique to a high and a broad uh, or a vert and a broad? Of course, but not as much as the 40 or the 5105. So I think, you know, all these drills are created differently and, you know, or, or should be weighted differently depending on position, depending on mm -hmm. the drill, all that kind of stuff. And, and I think that, you know, that's why some guys skip certain drills and it's like not worth their time to train for versus others you might get a, might get a reading on. And of course, it depends on the prospect. 100%. And I think, you know, again, you, these, these are pieces, right? And if I'm sure. allocating yeah, pieces yeah. of the pie, right? Like it's, you know, probably close to 80%, maybe 75% film, you know, the senior bowl is in, in that extra 25% combines in there. And it really just gives you like a point of clarity. It's like, oh, this guy's actually not as explosive as I thought he was based on these measurements, right? And so you go back and watch the film and you're like, is this fatal? Yes or no? Like Dewan Jones is a great example. Like Dewan Jones ran like a five six or five seven forty last year at the combine, but there was no doubt in my mind he was going to be a great football player because he's his his ten was pretty good, his on field drills were pretty good. So like even though the forty wasn't like this dramatic event, the other movement stuff kind of it's a big boy to run forty. <laughs> yeah, but it, the other movement stuff kind of fleshed out right. that he is a serviceable athlete, and then you marry that with the film, and you're like, I feel good about it. Now if he goes right. out and runs a really fast 40, but looks like dog, you know, you know what on the field, then you kind of say, well, maybe I go back and watch some of the film. And some of those issues you had where you're like, oh man, I don't like how he comes out of this three point stance or this angle is a little bit weird, or he gets his feet cut up. Those become more like, that's who he is as an athlete, as opposed to that's who he is as a football player. And I think it just kind of is the finishing touch for a lot yeah. of coaches. And I think like with the Marvin Harrison thing, I, as a prospect, and this is probably where I don't think there's a lot to finish. I don't think there's a lot of finishing. There's no questions about it, right? It's just like, like, like for example, like uh, Johnny Wilson, the receiver from Florida State, or or Keon Coleman. Like people have legitimate questions about their speed, legitimate questions, and their explosive ability. So I want to see them run 
because yes. I have a question about it, right? Right. That's so I think that that's that's where it becomes like a little bit the, the clarity is important. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. It's not just a podcast. It's the 25th hour of your day, your weekly source for all things commanders, right on time, your time. A list of household chores. Do them without missing a beat and listen while you work. In the car, turn mundane drives into memorable moments. With podcasts, you can maximize productivity and minimize FOMO. We're on demand, so we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Take Command Podcast. That's Logan Paulson. I am Craig Hoffman. So that leads us to what players do we have our eye on this week? Obviously, we'll we'll see if there's any bits of information that come out about Jaden Daniels, about Drake May, especially about Caleb Williams, and and where the Bears are going to go at one. We'll see what kind of smoke comes out. You know, a meeting. All the agents are around. So many yeah. team executives are around. Like a lot of stuff happens behind the scenes this week. Beyond those top three. Um, whether it's personal interest, uh, whether it is positional need for the commanders, who are some guys that you have your eye on that you think need to have big weeks uh, in Indianapolis? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of guys. I think if you want to go, let's go by position. You want to do that real quick? Yeah, we, so can, we me, can roll through them. So for me, quarterback is uh, J.J. McCarthy. And the reason I say that is because like, and this is something I was really excited to see. I wanted to see him throw, go throw for throw with the top three guys or the top guys. So like if Jaden's throwing, um, or if um, Drake is throwing, yeah. I wanted to As see... As of right now, Drake is throwing, Jaden and Caleb are not. Right, and I want to see him stack up. And it's so funny that Jaden's not throwing because one of my big questions I wanted to get answered is, again, we've talked about how much we like the film and how much we like the accuracy and the anticipation and all these things that are that make him a more nuanced passer than people think. One of the questions I had is, like, how good is his arm actually? And one of the, one of the best ways to tell is when they get in the line, like last year was so awesome because they got in the line and, you know, you see Stroud throw, you see Will Levis throw, and you're like, oh, there's a difference in terms of arm velocity there in terms of how they touch the field. So I was hoping to see him throw. And I think, um, and so again, like the fact he's not throwing, and this is maybe my own bias, goes like, well, maybe he doesn't have a strong arm, which is, again, like that's not fair to him, but that's a thought you have because you're like, why doesn't he want to be compared against those other guys in this type of setting? That's either here or there. So for me, it's J.J. McCarthy because I think like the more film I watch of him, you know, because coming out of the last spot, I realized like I had watched him really early in the process and hasn't revisited. And so going back and watching some of his stuff, it's like, man, he's got an awesome arm. He makes NFL hose. throws. Yeah. And, you're just, and, he's gonna, and he's faster than you think. He had that great 50-yard run against TCU last year in the playoff game. And you're like, 
I think he could blow up the combine. And if that comes out where he's throwing the ball really well and he looks way better than everybody else and he tests really well, I think he solidifies himself as that um, as that kind of QB4. QB4, yeah. I mean, and that's 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 a big swing, you know, and I totally understand that. But watching some of his and like some of his misses and some of his throws, they're NFL throws and they're NFL windows, which is kind of crazy to think about. And so I think he's the guy at the quarterback position that could say, I'm definitively the fourth guy based on these measurables. Cause I think when you go watch the film, and again, you got to kind of hunt and peck and look for these things because there's not a lot of throws. But in those throws, you're like, man, that's a that's an NFL comeback. That's an NFL crossing route. That's an NFL choice route. That's an NFL slant window. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. You know, th- those kind of those little moments. And I think that's why the NFL is in love with him. And so that that kind of brewing admiration for him could totally explode if he comes out and just looks like that dude this week at the combine. Well, yeah, he gets in that line. He starts throwing. He's just ripping darts. He yeah. gets up up and runs a four five two. You yeah. know, he he has a good shows some good agility. I mean, there there's all and he's probably going to crush the interviews. Yeah. Um. And then I think the other big thing for him is the weight. Like how big or small is he? Can is he has he put on at least a little bit of weight since the season? Um. And how does that obviously affect the speed and all those kinds of things? So that's going to be interesting. Let's come back to running back. So let's skip okay. running back. Come yeah. back to it. Um. Well, this is an insane wide receiver class as we talked about. Um, are there any particular guys that you think can separate themselves? We know Harrison, Adunze, mm-hmm. and um, Neighbors are kind of the top three, and then there's everybody else, whether it's someone who can challenge to be in that group, whether it's Neighbors coming out and, and saying, like, no, I actually should be ahead of Harrison. Like, yep. what to you is most interesting in that receiver group, or is it is it down the list? Honestly, for me, it's Keon Coleman. I know I said that already, but for me, it's, it's him. Because when you watch the film, he's a guy that's a tremendous contested catch guy. He's physical. He's got some punt return ability, so obviously – He's a tremendous athlete. He's got punt return touchdowns at that size, 6'4". I think he's 215 pounds, so big old hoss running like a like a, mani- like a maniac back there. But how fast is he? And I keep coming back to, like, is he Keneal Harry, you know, the guy that the Patriots drafted? I think that was, like, when was that? A couple years ago now. But, yeah. you know, like, couldn't run. And and I think, like, that's always a question with with him because he's He's, there's not a lot of separation in his routes. I think he has one of the lowest separation rates in the NFL at the moment. So you're kind of like, who is this guy really? Or in in college football, excuse me. So that's one that I'm like, if he does anything, if he runs like a four or five even, I think you feel pretty good about his draft stock and he might be a first round pick. But if he doesn't, he'll be available in Washington's, Washington's picking at the beginning of the second round. And I'm not sure that's the right that's the right solution for this team. All right, uh, tight end. Your uh, your home yeah. position, yeah. So I mean, for me, it's it's got to be Brock Bowers, and I think part of the reason is because he's such an interesting evaluation. And obviously, um, the other guy from uh, Texas is an interesting guy too. But I'm going to say Bowers in this instance because Bowers, like, what is like, what is he going to measure at? You know, are you really six four? Are you really two forty? Or are you really two twenty five? And then does the classification of your position? Like I, you know, for one of my, uh, the producer that I do the other draft show with that I do, um, I just like, what if you were to evaluate him as a, just a pure receiver? Like, where does he fall? And he probably falls in the, you know, top five or six guys, but he's definitely not a top 15 pick. You know what I'm saying? He's kind of right on the outside of that. And so if that's kind of what he is in terms of weight, height, speed measurements, then he's just a kind of a big receiver who's not overly fast and can work the slot. Again, he's very, very skilled. His film's awesome. I don't want to take that away from him. But then the the the, the usage becomes interesting because you're like, 
man, maybe you can't block in line the way we thought, or maybe we can't do use you in this way that we had kind of planned out. So for me, like if he comes in and looks the part, you know, he's 245, he's six four and a half, and he's this bigger guy than people think, and he still runs really well. I think he he's going to solidify himself as a top 10 pick. But if he comes in, he's a little light, you know, maybe a little shorter, arms aren't as long. I think that's going to hurt him in terms of the evaluation. Because to me, honestly, watching his film, I'm like, what's the difference between you and Brian Thomas Jr.? Really? Like, ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, the receiver from LSU. And it's really hard for me to tell because he is used as a receiver, essentially, in that offense, which is not his fault. And I, I think he's a tough guy. So I'm not trying to take anything away from that standpoint. But in terms of body size and stature and physicality, what's the actual difference? And I think the measurements could really help him out there. That's really interesting. Um, is that one where, like, if he goes out and rips 28 bench press reps, that also helps him or 30 bench press reps? Or Yeah, I think it just shows a mindset if he comes out and is strong. You know, because he plays – he plays like when you watch him play, you're like, I like your physicality. I like your mental approach. I like your toughness, but I can't use you that way. If you're not functionally strong, if you're not, you know, if you're 225, I, I can't put you in line. You're going to be the move guy. And then essentially like the defense is just going to match a nickel and we lose our, our matchup advantage. So that's kind of my thought on him where it's like, yes, if he bench presses 225 a lot, that's fine. But to me, I want to make sure that the, the physical, the physicality from a measurement standpoint ends up being there for him. Cause again, he's a hell of a football player. He's so fun to watch. So, um, yeah. you know, really want right. to see him uh, too. offensive line, uh, anybody in particular that you, especially commanders wise, have your eye on kind of in the range that they, we think that they could be looking at, at those positions. That's a really good question. And so for me, it's probably going to be a guy like, uh, you know, Chris Paul, not Chris Paul, uh, Patrick, Patrick Paul, Patrick Paul, his brother, um, you know, that, that he's, he measured great at the senior bowl. He looked like he showed, pretty good athleticism, but you know, how does he look on field compared to, you know, your Olu Fushanu's, your Joel Alts, like all those kind of main guys, is he athletically really far off or is he kind of right in that fringe? Cause I think guys like Tyler Guyton are going to move around really well. They're going to run really fast. And so can you kind of convince me through this combine that you deserve to be a high second round pick as opposed to a low second round pick? Because phys- your, your, your measurements are awesome. I got to see the movement skills because on film, I think one of the things he runs into is he's so big and so, so much physically better than everybody's playing against that he technically and his foot speed isn't there. So if he shows great foot speed and some of the change of the direction stuff, I say, oh, well, we can get him there. He's the, he has the athleticism to do it. But if he looks kind of lumbering and slow and doesn't quite work it out, then I'm like, okay, you're probably a you know, a, a late second round, early third round type of player, as opposed to that top of the second round guy. Am I crazy to then be like, I hope he stinks that way. He's, he falls to them in the uh, third. I mean, that's what people, you should hope that for good football yeah. players, you know, like, like, and, um, like assuming that he can then be coached out of it, you know, if that's who yeah. he is, then, then, well, now you've wasted a pick, but if, if you can coach it out of him and he just doesn't have it by the time the combine rolls around, you know, you wind up stealing him in the third and, and hoorah. Well, like Orlando Brown's a great example. I mean, he looked like a dumpster fire at the combine. You know, I think he did nine reps. He ran like the slowest 40 of all time, but he's been a starting left tackle in the NFL for, you know, six years. So like you kind of hope that good, like Darius Robinson, for example, part of me hopes he runs slow because then he'll be there for sure when we're picking at the top of the second round and you feel great about that selection because he's a heck of a football player. So, all right, uh, defensive side, and then we'll circle back to running backs at the end. Uh, yeah. Defensive line, uh, you just mentioned Darius Robinson. Yeah. Anybody else that you – For me, that it's you're... Chop Robinson 100%. I think that's yeah. a guy that's just going to be 
probably pretty electric, you know, and then how do you weigh that? He's going to be the exact like classic example of a guy who's going to murder the combine. I, think. I just already hear Rich Eisen's voice. Super excited. Chop yeah. Robinson. Yeah. And I think, you know, he'll probably run a four, four. Like I've heard he's going to jump over 40 inches. Like he's just wired <laughs> that way. And so he's probably a second round player, but is that now a second round player that bumps into the first and then a, a better football player like a Darius Robinson slips to the commander. So I just think he's, cause he's so, He's he's explosive. Don't get me wrong. He's very explosive, and he's a he's a the film is okay. So how does that layer in um, this weekend? I think that'll be really interesting. All right, linebacker level. Um, you know, obviously we're kind of looking for someone to pair with Jamin Davis, ideally. Yeah. Or are you looking for Jamin Davis's eventual replacement? Um, we don't know exactly what Dan Quinn is going to do with this defense, and Joe Witt is going to do with this defense. But that's kind of where the Commanders are. How does the class match up with with either yeah. of those propositions? Yeah, I mean the linebacker class is okay. You know, there's um, I think the guy that's interesting is Jeremiah Trotter because he's a very Jeremiah Trotter Jr. Excuse me from Clemson. It'd be real weird uh, if his dad was back in the draft. Yes, <laughs> that would be really weird. Everyone um, just went together. Damn, I'm old. <laughs> um, and he is he's a very smart football player, but he doesn't look like he's got great range on film. So if he comes out and says hey, I am a smart football player, but I'm also a plus athlete in some capacity. I think that would be really encouraging for the commanders who are looking to fill a need at linebacker. The other guy that's interesting is the linebacker from Michigan. There's two of them. I can't remember his name at the moment, but if he tests well, he again, he's kind of in that same bucket, a very smart player, very challenging defense, pro-style defense at Michigan, comes out and looks like that guy. Uh, from an athletic standpoint, I think you say, okay, we've got two two pieces here that can come in and potentially play Mike as a, as a young football player, not because um, because their instincts are so high. And I think with linebacker, one of the things I'm always looking for is the melding of instincts and um, and athletic traits. And the, the hard part is you can't usually find both those in one person. You're looking for Michael Barrett or Junior Colson? Junior Colson. There we go. That's All the right. guy. Junior Colson. Uh, defensive back. This is a weird one that we're going to have to uh, – we're going to have to – spend some time on because there, this is an area where I think Washington could attack in free agency. We're obviously waiting yeah. to see, um, do they franchise cam curl? Probably not, but it still could happen. Um, what do they, do they try to resign cam curl? Do they, you know, everyone is raving about Quan. uh, you know, they had the yeah. assistant coach availability last week and you know, he's one of the guys that already sticks out to everybody, but like sticks out is what is he a safety? Mm -hmm. Is he a corner? He's a Buffalo nickel. Like what is Quan Martin? So, trying to figure out how this class fits with the commander's needs is damn near impossible because we don't know what they need, but what's the class look like? So the class is interesting because I feel like there's a couple guys at the top, like Terry and Arnold and Wiggins is another guy that sticks out from Clemson. Uh, Arnold's from Alabama, obviously. Um, the guy from Iowa, Cooper DeGene, is a really good football player, but kind of falls in that Quan Martin bucket where he He's he's a he's a he's an excellent football player. So I don't want to d diminish what he is, but he's a guy that to me at the combine could make himself a ton of money because people have a lot of questions about his his like you know take the top off type of speed. But he's instinctive, he's physical, he can play safety, he can play linebacker, he can play cover corner. But if he runs well, I think you feel pretty good about it. But I do think that there because of the saturation of the spread offense in college football, you got a lot of guys who are good but not great in this class. So I think I go back to what Dan was saying about finding people 
with traits that fit your defensive vision. So like, you know, longer armed corners, um, kind of those hybrid safety players. That's why Cooper DeGene is very interesting to me. The safety from Washington State, whose name escapes me at the moment, but bigger guys, 6'3", 215, can play linebacker, can play in the post, has some coverage ability with the tight end. But again, like those types of guys are, are pretty common throughout. And it's just about kind of what what fits the defensive vision here. And I think that's something that I find interesting. And you kind of mentioned that with Quan. I think having Quan's a good problem to have because I don't think he's a true right. outside corner, but I think he kind of fix Jaden Hicks. Thank you, Will. He's the guy from Washington State. Really good football player. A lot of fun to watch. But again, kind of gives you that flexibility that I think they like. And so maybe they value guys like that a little bit more than, you know, your um, uh, your Wiggins from Clemson, as an example, who's a true outside lockdown corner who's not overly physical when it comes to making tackles and stopping the run. So, yeah, it's um, I have no idea what they're going to do in that secondary. And it's just like, you know, from re-signing Kendall to what they do with Quan to what they do with Cam like there it is. As a position, I feel good about them figuring it out because of the track record of this staff, specifically with the secondary. But it is one that I am, I'm totally unsure at this time how that solution ultimately looks. All right, last but not least, the running back group. Um, this is a very bizarre group of prospects. Not that like there's anything super weird about any of them individually, just collectively. You know, typically you have one or two stud athletes where you're like, that's a first round talent. Or in yeah. last year's case, you have Bijan, who's like a top 10 talent, maybe the best player in the draft. But you're going, all right, positional value. Do they go in the first round? Whatever. There's not that guy this year. There's not some guy who's been the best player, you know, on his team every year of his life playing running back, give him the ball and watch him juke everybody out. But you've also got this super dilution of the position at the NFL where there's good running backs everywhere um, or serviceable running backs, I should say, everywhere. So it feels like, a, like are we not going to get a running back in the first round at all? Are we not going to get any in the first two rounds at all? Like, what, what are we looking at in terms of this running back class? That's kind of what it feels like. I don't think, you know, to me, I've always heard that the value for running back is in that third round, you know, because it's like the positional value kind of meets the athletic value. And I do think this year, I get, I have watched I've watched probably 15 or 20 running backs and I've never I haven't seen one maybe one or two so not just to kind of give myself an out there that I'm like this guy's a bad football player like I'm like oh this guy catches the football well you know like this guy does this well this guy is a good third down back this guy runs with better power better contact balance so I think there's an opportunity to find a guy that fleshes out your room you know that fleshes out your um your, your, your kind of running back guy by committee. Because, you know, if you look around the NFL now, there's so few places that have that kind of true bell cow. I mean, even with Christian McCaffrey, who kind of runs that offense, like they need to make sure they have a really good backup in place to kind of offset what he does. So I do think, like, if you're looking for a running back in this class, there's no, you know, Gibbs, there's no B. John Robinson. There's, that, that guy's not here. But when I, when I watch them, I'm like, these guys are good football players, good contact balance, um, good there. And I think that's the thing. They kind of have your flavor. There's explosive guys, there's big guys. And it's kind of like, what do we need to flesh this out? And I think that's something that makes me very excited about the running back group. And, and again, maybe because like you talk about people kind of um, like biasing you before the process even starts, like they're talking about how bad the running back class is. But I'm like, no, like, there's some really good football players here that they get you excited about what's going on. Just no one spectacular, no one that anyone's going to be fighting yeah. over. Um, but it's also nice to have like, you know, if you've got Brian Robinson and you want a more of a scat back type, 
or if you want someone who's great third down protect, like there's going to be something for everyone. It's just a question of how do you fill it out? Um, but I, this is a position that I do think, you know, we, we talk about the, the lack of value or the kind of diminishing role of running backs, et cetera. It's why it's actually important to get one in the draft because mm -hmm. you don't want to pay them. Like you don't have to go in free agency and have to spend real money. Even if you're a team like the commanders, and we're going to talk about the salary cap here in a second and, and how it being so very high um, affects Washington as the team with the actual most cap space, but you don't want to have to spend real money on it. And maybe, maybe occasionally there's a guy that it's worth it. You can get him on a pretty team friendly deal, but he's got some veteran know-how he's maybe been with your, your head coach, your OC before there, there's some reason why you want him. He's got special teams value, whatever, but generally speaking, because running backs are all due respect a dime a dozen at this stage of the NFL's history, um, not like paying a rookie contract is better than paying a veteran contract. And so while you don't want to necessarily pay first round money or use a first round pick, nailing that third round running back selection could be an essential building block for any franchise. You know, I think especially for the commanders, you know, obviously there's a lot of people I think calling for, you know, the re-signing of uh, Gibson as, as a player. And I, I like Gibson. I'm very high on him. I've always been high on him kind of waiting for the offensive coordinator to maximize what he does so well. But the problem is you got to pay him a little bit more than you probably want to. And I think you look at this class, there's a lot of guys that I think have skill sets that could just easily step in and fill that out. And I think that's another reason with um, you know, problem with the running back market at the NFL level is that there's all these guys, much like the receiver market, but the receiver market hasn't reacted to this yet. There's a lot of running backs coming in that are starting caliber or that it can give you significant minutes and make your room better. And so why do I want to pay a veteran? I think, I think Christian Rodriguez is an excellent example of this. Like, why would I, I got that guy in the sixth round, fifth round. I don't know when I drafted him exactly, but yeah. he is a contributing really good football player to this team. And I am paying him essentially $0 by NFL standards. And there's 10 guys in this class, like I just mentioned, 15 guys that fit that same mold. So, again, it's to me, if, if you want to address, there's certain positions you want to address, address in the draft this year. I think offensive line, I think receiver, and I think running back for this kind of third down, kind of very specific filling a, filling a niche type of player, which I think is um, which is a big deal. So. Yeah, Rodriguez pick 193 overall in yeah. the sixth round. So you can definitely get it later in the draft. Wrapping up, take command with Logan Paulson. I am Craig Hoffman. And Logan, it's time to talk money. Dollar, dollar bills, many millions of dollar, dollar bills. The NFL salary cap is rising 30.6 million dollars to 255.4 million which is a 13.6% salary cap increase that is the largest in NFL history now the commanders were already in great cap shape uh but now thanks to this this cap uh situation so are some other teams does this help or hurt the commanders being the team with the most salary cap space considering that uh you know the cap is is going up in a major way for everybody more than anybody had planned for. Yeah, at first I was like, I don't think it really affects what they do. You know, when you first brought this segment up, I was like, eh, it doesn't really affect anything. Um, it gives them more money, gives them more opportunity to spend stuff. Uh, but I think I come back to this idea that like, if there's better teams offering similar contracts and now they have the money and opportunity to do that, I think it might hurt them. Like if I'm a 
if I'm a Jadavian clowny, just as an example, now the market might have been very limited in terms of what I was looking for from a contract standpoint. And now it's expanded by four, five, six teams that can now pay me what I want. And I maybe the situation there is uh, from a winning, um, from a tradition of winning standpoint or recent winning standpoint is better to more conducive to what I'm looking for. So I think that probably does hurt them to a certain extent, but ultimately like they have a lot of money to spend, right? They have a lot of money to spend on stuff. And I think that, you know, ultimately, if you can write big checks, people are going to come play here. So, yeah, I do think that like watch the, the days of paying the Washington tax are over. It is over like, yeah. You know, that's that's great. Um, this is a great year to have a lot of money for them. People are excited about this organization. You know, Adam's got such a great uh, reputation, but also great relationships with so many agents that he's worked with well in San Francisco over the years. Dan is so well respected. You know, I think there's definitely certain position groups, especially that are going to want to play for Cliff or Joe Witt. So like, there's a lot of great stuff. Unfortunately, though, it does cloud the market. Like you would, you are much more helped by this news if you are a team that was cash strapped than you are if you're a team that's cash flush. And one example that I saw a lot of people using was the New York Giants. They signed Daniel Jones to that big contract last year. That first big money number hits this year. And it doesn't hurt them very much because right. the cap is so much bigger than they anticipated at the time. So now instead of being squeezed by him, they could go draft a quarterback and not really feel that bad about him, J Jones being the backup or having right. both guys on the roster. Or, you know, if they stick with Jones, can they go spend money on an offensive lineman where they otherwise wouldn't have and be competitive in a market that, that they otherwise wouldn't? So obviously, if you were a team that was being able to, thought like, oh, we'd be able to assign seven players in free agency, like Washington with all the cap money that you have. Now each one of those players becomes a little bit more expensive, maybe only mm -hmm. get six and you got to pay a little bit more for all of them. It costs you a starter. It costs you, you know, a key backup. It costs you a key special teams guy. Like I definitely think that even though they will have more money than everyone else, still um, the fact that some teams, one, probably will keep players they might have otherwise had to cut Mm -hmm. uh, because they're cash strapped and two, the ability to add players when they otherwise wouldn't have is, is going to be, um, detrimental to Washington, maybe not any super significant way, but it certainly is, is worse than better. I think from the commander's perspective. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. And I think that's exactly right. The way you articulated that, which is great. I just, yeah, it, it just makes it more competitive, right? More people can spend money. Guys you thought were going to be available aren't going to be available. And that's always challenging, but I ultimately think having a lot of money is a good thing. And I think it's also just important just from like a tangential thought process to, to kind of keep in mind here is like how aggressive do we expect Adam to be in this, Adam and Dan to be in this free agent market? Maybe they weren't planning on being overly aggressive, so then it doesn't really affect them that much. Maybe they want to, you know, re-sign Kendall, re-sign Cam, and then, you know, make some kind of minor free agency moves and kind of save that money for later on. And maybe that's kind of what they're looking at. I have no idea. But if, if that's the approach, then the effect would be very minimal because they're not looking to make big splashes, big winners. Now you always go back to that quote, you know, it's easy to get to eight and eight. It's hard to kind of create a, a long winner. And so making sure you have the right guys in the building, the right people around your organization is probably going to be a bigger priority here. And so maybe they weren't going to be overly spendy in this, in this, uh, this free agency cycle anyway. So, so when we think of those incumbents, um, like I just kind of, I don't want to say struggle with, but I just wonder conceptually how teams think about this. Like, it's one thing if you're bringing a guy back in the same exact role, same coaching staff, whatever. But because Cam Curl and Kendall Fuller wore Washington jerseys last year, is there any benefit to signing them back when the coaching staff and the scheme is going to be different?
Well, I think there are versus people another the, free agent at the same position. Yeah, I think there are people in the building that know them and can vouch for them in a way that a lot of these coaches couldn't or wouldn't be able to kind of understand. And that's always really, really important when bringing in a free agent, I think, or at least that, that's been my experience. You want to have someone that you can trust, that understands your expectations. And I think having people, again, scouts, front office people, you know, Marty uh, Martin is still in there kind of doing his thing. And so he can be like, oh, yeah, Cam did this really well for us. And he fits this role for you really well. And he's a great leader in the locker room. He can really get that messaging across for you. I think it's awesome because like I was signed to teams because the assistant special teams coach coached me when I was in Washington. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like that relationship, just having someone to vouch for you is super important. So I do think it's, I do think it can be helpful just to kind of provide some continuity. But like in the case of Dan, you know, if there's a couple guys leaving or in the case of Adam as well, if guys are leaving San Fran, guys are leaving Dallas and you would prefer them, I think they're going to go with the guy that they really know intimately as opposed to the guy that's being vouched for secondhand. So I think there are advantages in terms of, again, the continuity, kind of understanding the type of guy you have and what they do well. Because, again, it's not like it's a complete departure from from the people in the building last year, but it definitely isn't the same or as significant as if all the coaches had stayed here last year. Right, because I just, I just think about evaluating for whatever systems they are building on both sides of the ball, and it's like – if Antonio Gibson is the best fit for what you need out of a running back, go sign him. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, this great. is the benefit of having extra cap space. Like, go have a luxury of a running back. If Kendall Fuller, by the same token, or you know, you're looking for a veteran leader in the cornerback room, and you look at the list of guys available, and it just so happens to be that Kendall's the best guy. Like, I have no problem with them bringing uh, that guy back in. Um, I just, I just wouldn't bias myself towards that. And I think that's what the staff has already done in some mm. ways um, with the coaching staff. Uh, I know John talked about this on his pod that like Tavita basically re-interviewed for his job. While they never mm. officially let him go, they actually re-signed the guy, the coaches that are staying to new contracts that match everyone else's contract. So it's not like, hey, you're just retained, like cool. It's like, no, 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 you're you're not here. Okay, let's interview you like you're not mm. here. Okay, congrats, you're back here. Hope you didn't move out of your house. Uh, because they thought that Tavita Pritchard for quarterbacks coach was the best guy for the job and that that the other coaches and scouts and everyone who stayed are the best guys for the job. So um, if that's the case, then then fine. But I think at the point where you're not having the continuity of scheme, I mean, obviously, I, I do think realistically there's a continuity in communication, which I mean, that's secondary last year wasn't exactly positive. Mm -hmm. uh, but theoretically, you have a continuity of communication. Kendall has talked to Cam, has talked to Forrest, has talked to Forbes, has talked to Quan before. They understand each other in, in some ways, even if they're going to have to do it through a different scheme. But that wouldn't override anything else or, you know, other potential factors to me. So I, I just, I was curious how teams think of that. Uh, when a new staff and a new group takes over and you have free agents, um, even guys like Kendall who have been around for a long time and are valued members of the locker room. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And again, it's, it's, you know, back to your original question, it doesn't, it doesn't help, but it's probably, there are, there are some advantages like, like you were pointing out there. So I think that's just important to keep in mind. Like the NFL is a, per, a, a interrelationship business and you have a relationship already with some people there. They can help you out. So, and again, like, I, like I've said this before, I do think that um, Cam and Kendall both have skills that fit that defensive perspective. So if yeah. the number's right, like you said, and you like what they do, like I think that might work out. But it depends on their evaluation, the coach's evaluation, and how they how they view those players and how they they view that fit. So and and I guess the other reason I bring that up too is because you know we talk about are they going to be 
a quote unquote aggressive in free agency. And it's like, well, they go out and spend a significant chunk of money on guys that just happened to wear their Jersey last year. Like they still spent that money. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, I'm curious how it all works out because they, there is a salary cap floor. They do have to spend a lot of this money. How yeah. do they spend it? Whether it's right. on their own guys or whether they give some guys extensions, whether they, who knows what they could do. Um, but we're starting to get to the time of year where you find out, um, you know, contracts sometimes get done in Indy guys get re-signed, restructured, whatever. And then uh, obviously NFL free agency just around the corner. All right, that's it for us for today. Later in the week, we are going to do our annual crossover episode where we talk about training for the combine versus training for football. That'll be our, our train with the best crossover episode this year. Then we have a bunch of, of people lined up as potential guests in Indy. We're just kind of comparing schedules, but some of your favorite, I'll, I'll put it this way. You will hear from some of your favorite draft analysts on this podcast in a very short time so plenty of content to come uh make sure you're subscribed not only on uh here uh, in terms of wherever you're listening right now but if you're someone who wants to watch on youtube and then if you're watching right now reverse it subscribe on your favorite podcast platform for logan i'm craig we'll see you from indy uh, here on taking it